Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Hello, I'm David Marsland and welcome to this special year-end edition of How to Be a CEO. It is the end of the year. Well done. It's been hard for all of us now. What's next? In this episode, we're joined by The Standard's business editor, Jonathan Prynne, and our business and tech correspondent, Simon Hunt, to talk about what the future holds. So I want to do a preview of 2024 and the sorts of things that people should be looking at. But Jonathan, can we just do a bit on 2023 and, and how bad was it? It was a tough year. It was a tough year, no question. Not disastrous. We, The country managed to avoid the recession that many economists were forecasting this time last year. I think a lot of businesses have found it tough, particularly the consumer-facing businesses where that demand has been squeezed by the cost of living crisis and all of that is entailed. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's been awful uh, and it varies from sector to sector. The travel sector has been going absolutely gangbusters as people get back to enjoying themselves or you know, all that pent up demand for travel that, uh, that they couldn't spend while during COVID, during lockdowns and so on. That's been very strong. Hospitality has been okay. Seems to be having a good Christmas, but um, it's been tough. Costs have been high all year. Inflation, very high. Uh, energy, very high. Coming down now, thank goodness. And interest rates have also been very high, higher than expected, longer than expected all year. And that's been crippling for businesses, with, particularly with high levels of debt. Simon, when you've been out, talking to to business founders and CEOs and all of those influential people, as you do for The Standard. What have they been telling you this year? Have any kind of big themes been coming out? Have the same things been being said by different people? Yeah, I I think, um, well, I mean, there's virtually not been a single company that hasn't mentioned cost of living in some way or another. I mean, in some cases, that's been a benefit to them in the sense of, you know, budget supermarkets, seeing lots more uh, people flocking into their into their shops. But for the most part, it's, you know, people experiencing customers dwindling or or customers still coming along, but just spending a lot less than they used to per shop and things like that. So, you know, invariably, that's been the biggest challenge for, for most businesses. Yeah, Jonathan, the cost of living has come up in a lot of interviews that we've done on this show, How to Be a CEO. 
Is that going to change in 2023? Is it in 2024? Sorry, is that going to get better? It should get slightly better simply because wages are now finally rising faster than inflation. So people are getting slightly better off. So that's good. They've got a little bit more to spend at the end of the month um, than, than maybe they did last year. On the flip side of that, one of the things that kept the economy afloat last year was people working through savings that they'd accumulated during lockdowns when they couldn't, there was very little for them to spend money on. They couldn't travel, they couldn't go out, they couldn't uh, eat at restaurants or that sort of thing. So there was a huge a mountain of savings that had accumulated over 2020 and 2021. That has now pretty much um, been worked through and we're back, savings levels are back to where they were pre-COVID. So there are pressures in both directions. People do have a little bit more money to spend, but they don't have those um, backlogs of, of savings that they can dip into. So I, I think it will be another pretty tough year. Um, I think cost of living will continue to be a big factor. Uh, people are cautious. There's a little bit more uncertainty about job security as well. That always makes people um, rein in their spending, pulling their horns a bit. Um, and of course, interest rates uh, or mortgage rates are still going up for thousands and thousands of people on fixed mortgages as they come to the end of their fixed rate terms. Jonathan, you, you talked about things returning to pre-COVID levels there. Is COVID still an issue? Because it's something that, again, has come up in interview after interview. Some companies talking about how they, they were resilient and boldly moved through COVID. Others going, we're still suffering from here. No, it's a very, it's a very good question. Um, I mean, in terms of work patterns, we're still not back to where we were. Hybrid working is very much part of the scene. I, I do detect that... Uh, employers generally are starting to want to return to more uh, traditional patterns of employment and get people in the office more. We had Nationwide, I think, last week saying they wanted to increase the amount of time people spent in the office from, I think it was from 20% to 40% of the week. So still only two days out of five. But hybrid is gradually... Um, I think working its way through the system, we'll, we'll see more people going back to offices, I think, this year under pressure from employers to some degree. And again, But again, that depends on how the, the jobs market pans out. I think if, uh, if there are still labour shortages, as there have been for the last few years, employers will find it quite hard to um, crack the whip on that and employees will have the whip hand. And if they don't want to come in, then they won't come in. If, on the other hand, unemployment rises and people start to get a bit more fearful about keeping their jobs, then they will feel they, their negotiating position is much harder and will start to come in a lot more, I think. Um, the broader effect on COVID, I, I mean, it is definitely still there. But, I mean, again, varying from sector to sector, but I think the, the shadow of, of the pandemic will hang over us for quite a little while yet. Simon, you're never out of the office. You're always in here all the time. Are you also getting the feeling that more and more people are coming back? Is, is, is the remote working bubble bursting? I think that's probably true to an extent. I mean, um, there was certainly there's certainly a, a, a case that there's been a, a shift in working patterns in that I think even before the pandemic, it was quite normal for a lot of firms in the city to have um, employees who were allowed to take one day a week off, and that day was usually Friday. But uh, it it moved to being obviously fully remote during the pandemic, and 
you know, I, I felt as like the early part of 2023, most people were still taking more than one day a week uh, at home. And now it feels like we're pretty much back to where we were pre-pandemic, where maybe people are taking a day off, but that's it sort of thing. I remember, Jonathan, I think it was last year we interviewed Facebook, who'd moved into their big new office in London. And of course, this year, that big new office, and at the time when I went in, it was empty. Yeah. They're not there anymore. No, they got rid of that one. Um, no, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's a lot of tech companies in particular that are, are having to review their office needs um, because they just don't have the bodies to fill them anymore. And yet, there's, a, there's an office boom going on in the city. I, there are um, some enormous uh, office blocks are going up or are in the planning pipeline at the moment. 22 Bishopsgate, which was, I think, the biggest building that's ever been built in the city, that's 92% occupied now, I gather. The, the legal sector is growing as ever. Um, you know, the, the, there are elements of tech that are growing, even if they're not having people in every day. I don't, there's no, I don't think there's any sense yet that um, London has a massive glut of surplus office space. Within that, there's a slight um, nuance. New office space, uh, which re meets green standards and then all the rest of it, uh, sustainable office space, that's in very hot demand. Some of the older stock, which is um, can't meet zero emission type uh, targets, that is proving harder to fill. And some of that probably will um, come onto the market and stay empty for quite a long time. Simon, thinking about tech, if I was going to start up a company, is tech a good environment for me to be in right now? Um, I, I would still say yes, to be honest. I mean, I'm probably biased because I get hundreds of emails of companies, tech companies saying how great they're doing. Um, but there's been an awful lot going on in, in tech over, over the past year, of which the majority of the news headlines have been AI related. But if you look at the amount of funding, there's still plenty of dry powder, uh, lots of investment going on. Where, where it has been more difficult is kind of mature firms that aren't yet profitable, finding it harder to hold on to the kind of heady valuations that they got in 2021, 2022. Um, so there have been a, a few um, uh, what have been called dehorned unicorns who've lost their unicorn status in, in subsequent funding rounds this year. Um, they've also, I think, for, for the smaller companies, um, there might have been some in 2023 who didn't get funding, who might have done two years previously. And that's purely because investors are setting a lot tighter conditions on what they get funding for. So now you have to demonstrate that you can become profitable in, say, the next three to four years rather than the next six to seven years, stuff like that, which just makes the, the bar to getting funding a little bit harder than it was previously. So AI, at one point you couldn't have a conversation without somebody mentioning AI. And here it is again, talking about AI. Well, I went at the start of the year, I was well into it, and then I sort of forgot it existed by the end of it. Is AI, though, continuing to, to be a driving force as we move into 2024? Oh, yeah, I think it will still, it will still be massive. I mean, over the past year, there have been so many companies who are desperate to tell me what their AI capabilities are, including companies, by the way, which aren't tech companies at all. I mean, Pearson, the education giant over the past year, has constantly been banging the drum about all of their AI capabilities when fundamentally their main business is, you know, selling textbooks and English language tests and that sort of thing. Um, so, that, so that's been fascinating. But I think 
So I, th- I think I expect we'll see uh, lots more t- chatter about AI uh, in 2024. But there'll be a, a bit of a difference insofar as I think there'll be the, the beginnings of a kind of a consolidation in AI. The sort of dominant players in 2023 will get larger and they will start to absorb some of the smaller players. Some of the smaller players will also die out because their technology can't keep up as fast as the larger players. Um, and I think the kind of crazy money that, that um, VCs have put into some of the sort of fledgling tech startups. You know, I did a story um, early this year about a a startup only, that never hadn't made any money and only had about eight staff and was already worth 100 million. I think there'll be fewer of those going around. Um, so we'll definitely see a, con- a consolidation. Jonathan, are you using AI a lot right now? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> uh, for now, um, all our copy is human generated. Um, how long that will remain, who knows? But um, no, I, uh, I've managed to avoid the personal AI revolution so far. But as Simon says, inevitably, it'll creep more and more into our lives, whether we know it or not. And maybe a lot of the time we won't even know that we're being subjected to AI-generated um, content. Um, I, did, <clears throat> I did go to a, a, a company um, annual Christmas dinner with a major FTSE 100 company. Uh, the other day, and the chief executive stood up and said, um, I've asked uh, ChatGPT to write my speech in a witty, sort of uh, warm, end-of-year kind of uh, style. Uh, And he read it out, and it was pretty decent, actually. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll have the first CEO bot within, within our working lives. Today ads, make your New Year's resolution to follow how to be a CEO on your podcast provider. There's a little button somewhere on your app. Hit that and you'll get all the best interviews with top business leaders every second Monday. See you in a sec. Simon, one of the things that's changed a lot this year is the social media landscape. Are we going to be seeing more revolution in that? Will X stroke Twitter still exist in 24? Are people going to have to, are businesses going to have to adapt, particularly their marketing plans? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's been a lot going on in the social media world the past past year. I mean, there have been lots of challenges to X um, that have popped up, including uh, Meta's own version and uh, Blue Sky, which is from Twitter founders uh, Jack Jack Dorsey's attempt. Um, n- none of them so far has have, have been able to overtake it, but maybe um, twenty twenty four will finally be the year where we see the end of what what was Twitter. I don't know, and I mean, of course, also from from a journalist perspective, there's been a lot of going going on in in, in the social media world. Lots of national governments are asking social media sites to pay money to newspapers for for the um, content that's seen on the platform. Uh, Meta reacting fiercely to that to the point where in, in Canada now you you can't actually look at any news articles uh, or you can't share them uh, on Facebook or things like that because they object to new rules by Canadian lawmakers. So there might be more of a battle in the next year between journalists and social media sites. We'll see. So we've talked about various sectors, Jonathan, but what about the thing that London is most famous for? The city, how is the city, how is our financial sector, how is everything doing there? Well, not great. Unfortunately, it's been a very, very quiet year for the activity that uh, puts um, 
bread on the table of the bonus earning classes in in the city of London um, with M and A activity, mergers and acquisitions um, has been extremely limited by historic standards, and we've seen very very few companies coming to the market for um, new listings, IPOs as as they're known. Um, but more worrying from that, we've seen a number of uh, number of companies actually coming off the London market and going to New York instead, or choosing not to um, float in London and go to to America instead. Uh, all of these are not terribly encouraging trends for uh, for the city of London. I think they feel that the that the slack is being will be taken up by tech as the city of London sort of pivots from a financial services driven economy to a, a tech dominated uh, economy. But we shall see. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it's it is. It is worrying that the city seems to be such a quiet place um, in by historic standards at the moment. Um, they're just the deals just aren't getting done that used to get done. Simon, can can London become more famous for tech than the city? Well, I I definitely think London is has done well in in the in the tech space over the over the past year. Um, particularly if you look at AI, I mean, it's obviously a way behind the US and China, but but it's but. The UK is easily ahead in in Europe, and uh, that doesn't seem to matter very much this year when you know the whole sector is very nascent. But if you think about where we might be in you know ten years from now, being ahead now could really really matter. So I think that's definitely one to keep an eye on in in twenty twenty four. But Jonathan, going into twenty twenty four itself, putting our first foot into that year, what are the sorts of things that companies are going to be have? are going to have to be looking at what are the dangers but also what are the opportunities there the the broader macroeconomic picture is going to be again fairly fairly rocky next year i mean even if things go well and we don't have another massive geopolitical crisis or black swan event i don't know if we can call them black swan events anymore because they seem to come along with such regularity but you know i think i think all chief executives now appreciate we've had in the last 15 years we've had uh, a, a, the biggest financial crisis since the 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 the, 19, the 1929 crash uh the first the biggest pandemic we have brexit the biggest geopolitical event involving um britain since the second world war uh we've had the biggest pandemic since the end of the first world war umpteen changes of government ministers uh business ministers prime ministers chancellors all the rest of it you know, we've we've gone through a particularly turbulent fifteen years uh, by historical standards. So I think chief executives are now probably expecting the unexpected. Hopefully, we'll we'll go through a slightly uh, calmer period over the next year or two. I guess the election is going to elections tend to make consumers cautious. Um, so that might have a an impact on on expenditure. Again, um, I think unemployment is going to be, and where that goes, is going to be absolutely crucial if it stays at very low levels where we are at the moment. Um, I think that's good for the economy and good for businesses. But the minute people start to feel worried or insecure about that job, about their jobs, that changes habits, spending habits, and and wealth effects, and all that very very quickly. Um, people get a lot more cautious. I think the level of corporate failure as well will be will be really interesting to watch last year it is starting to um, next year rather it is starting to pick up um 
and I'm sure we will see some big um, some big losses and some and some big failures next year, which again is very disruptive and uh, corrosive to confidence in in the broader economy. Do you know a word you said there that I don't think we've heard on this podcast this year is Brexit. Has that been forgotten about, Jonathan? Have we moved on? No, I think it's just become a kind of a running sore in the background now. And I mean, there are, you know, there are companies that are finding ways around Brexit, some retailers that just gave up on exporting to Europe have now got uh, bases, uh, warehouses and so on, based in, in Belgium and Holland and so on, which allows them to sort of get around the worst of the, the customs, red tape and, and, the, and the paperwork nightmare um i i mean i you know i think it's just a sort of dull background pain now for most people um for exporters in particular that they've learned to live with and and do not expect any major uh change to the situation for the foreseeable future with no no major political party uh is committed to rejoining the single market or reversing brexit in any significant way simon of the people that you've spoken to are you feeling optimism or pessimism from them as we're going into this new year um i that's a good question i feel like it's a it's a bit of a a mixed bag i think certainly in the in the hospitality sector they've had such a, a terrible time pretty much for the past three years that that they kind of have to be optimistic that things will be better and and it certainly appears that well if you look at like christmas booking levels and things like that there's, that there seems to be a, a rosier picture. I think people in the in the tech world still seem pretty optimistic. I haven't detected much pessimism there, but there is a sort of a debt-related issue that um, maybe some companies have. Either the ones that racked up a lot of debt to survive during COVID and now have to pay a lot higher rates, so that's just a huge cost for them, uh, or the people who are who ordinarily would would use debt to grow. Um, which happened a lot, you know, over the last ten years when interest rates were, were very low by historic standards. Now can't do that anymore, and so the options, the avenues available to you to grow, aren't as broad as they might have been. And maybe that's a reason for pessimism for some of them. Jonathan, optimistic or pessimistic for twenty four? Ooh, I mean, my natural um, instincts are always to be optimistic. Um, I, I'm pretty cautious about 2024 for some of the reasons I, I just described. I think the key to it is economic growth. I think unless we can get the economy starting to motor at pace again, it's it's going to be a hard grind for a, a lot of businesses. Um, and I don't really see that happening, certainly this side of an election. Um, I think we're in for another fairly drawn-out year of, of slow growth. So I'm sort of optimistically pessimistic that we will get through this uh, and that 24 will be kind of the last bad year and things will pick up after that. That was Jonathan Prynne and Simon Hunt. You can read more from them at standard.co.uk forward slash business. How to be a CEO will be back after the new year. We'd love to see you again then. Have a great festive season.
Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.